0: I think
1: Islam
2: hates us. They have done nothing except wreak havoc and terror for our faith and, and our religion. We,
1: when we stand up to those who oppress our communities, that Allah
2: accepts from us that as a form of jihad. The foundations of society are fragile. We must be the shepherds of our own civilization. If anyone answers either yes or no without making necessary distinctions, both are not telling the truth. They're lying. Father, we pray that your word will become a hammer that breaks rocks into pieces, that you will raise up in this nation pulpits and prophets that will call the nation back to repentance. Will you distance yourself from those who think differently, or will you join us at the table and talk about what is really important? This is the Maeda Initiative. Conversation Without Compromise. come The way this started is you posted the article about, um, 50% of Americans uh, believe that the Bible should impact American law. And I inflammatorily responded by saying halfway there and now we're here. Um, so I'm right. Um, very uh, curious to hear kind of what your exact concerns are with that and see where we agree, where we disagree.
1: I mean, I have multiple concerns with that. Um, you know, both personal concerns and uh, legal concerns. Uh, I mean, on a personal level, um, I'm not a Christian, right? And um, I don't think I'd be comfortable necessarily with, and not just me, like many people wouldn't be comfortable with uh, laws being based on biblical laws or whatnot, um, just on a personal level. And then on a, um, a legal level, I don't think that, that would necessarily comply with, uh, the establishment clause and, and, uh, separation between, you know, state and, you know, really church and state. Um, and I mean, other than the fact that, that, you know, I'm not a Christian and many people in society aren't Christians, I think, um, you know, there's specific laws in the Bible that they just, they're not suitable for today. They are, you know, kind of, uh, brutal or whatnot and i mean there's different ways of of discussing and you know, kind of interpreting things but that's an issue in itself is like you know maybe you're you're maybe you're a good you know you you have a good kind of modern way of looking at these things or whatnot but then there's other people who are like hey let's take the worst laws that we can find and apply them today because that's what it says in the bible
2: sure so uh i guess my I guess my, my stip- I guess um, the, trying to figure out where to sort, of, to sort of start with that, because I think there's some, there's some valid concerns there, of course. Um, but I, th- I think the first thing I'd be interested to get your thoughts on is what obviously any kind of law in it by nature, is imposing some kind of morality that you can't have law that comes out of like a worldview vacuum right every it's right. going to come from somebody's idea so what what do you think the sort of standards of right and wrong should be that are imposed as law and what should they not be
0: I
1: mean I think the idea of a common law based on um, the- process is a good way to find uh, laws that are suitable for your time and place so um, I do have issues some issues with common law in terms of laws that were in the past and they're still on the books and that aren't necessarily um, valid for today but we have a process for for dealing with that in terms of you know people can challenge the laws if there's something from the past especially if they don't seem to comply with uh, the Constitution and our understanding of the constitution, you can you can sue um, you know the government or whatnot, and you can try to change those laws. But I think that that process, um, in terms of you know democracy and having representation, and um, I mean obviously I have, have <laughs> and with our um, you know the people in Congress to a large extent uh, of both parties, not just a, you know not just a single party. Um, so that is an issue. That's an issue itself. But I think that the process. Over- well, it's just that process, um, and I think that if we're able to fix our democratic institutions and democracy to a, a better extent, I mean, I, th- I think it comes down to that to a large extent. Is are the people that are representing you know, actually, representing, and if, if they are, then you should be um, you should be comfortable with the laws that they're trying to push, and, and you should be able to work within the system to um, to promote or uh, you know certain laws that, that you won't want. Um, based on your interpretation based on interpretation of the majority which has its issues as well. I'm not going to say majority rule doesn't um, but it's better than just you know basing it on a book uh, and I think we need to have certain certain guidelines in place to protect minorities and that should be something that's um, I mean we do have some but I think we still need more um, so that you can, the majority can't pass laws that hurt the minority as well long- have that in place, then I'm all for a majority, um, you know, represent based on the, the the process that we have right now, the Supreme Court and, and Congress.
2: So but even then, right, you have this kind of growing number of people that want the Bible to be enforced as U.S. law, right? You've got 50% there. So if you have 50% representation of people who want that, then the Bible influencing U.S. law is somewhat inevitable under that system is it not
1: yeah but as long as as long as the bible itself isn't the you know as long as you're not referencing the bible the Bible to justify the law um i I get it like i get that people are going to push for laws that um that are based on the world's view and based on their values and i might not agree with those laws but i think the the process is, uh, you know a process, and I also think that there's you know a lot of these the fifty percent of the people if you ask them you know how about we uh, punish adultery with uh, you know make a capital punishment to cheat on your wife the vast majority of them agree with that so then then you have to look into the interpretation and understanding of uh, basing the laws on the Bible um, and I think that's a very wide uh, you know th- people have widely different opinions on on that some plurals or the ethics of the Bible or whatnot, and some people they might want to go back into you know Old Testament uh, laws from Leviticus or something and, and want to apply all that.
2: Yeah. So uh, his
1: his but, I would but I don't think that, that's the majority, so that's not that doesn't worry me as much as maybe laws.
2: Yeah. So I, I think there's a, there's a few things when, when dealing with this. Right. So y- you're right. People who want to kind of enforce Levitical laws on society would, um, it would be, they exist, but they're most, it's mostly kind of cults rather than most Christians. Right. And and so what I would advocate for would be, I think one of the first principles is that if you look at the sort of general narrative of the Bible, just on a surface level reading of it, there is a shift on how things are put together that you go from a state and an established nation to something that's not based in an established nation and that there's no militaristic nature of Jesus's ministry is, is a pretty big deal as far as reading the Bible in trajectory and applying that. But there's, there's kind of, um, there's more to it than that as well. So you talked about, the separation of church and state, for example, which is something that I would actually argue is an old Testament principle. And the reason that we have that is fundamentally from the Bible itself. It's not separation of powers is not something that was imposed on Christians from non-Christians. It actually comes from the Bible itself, because in the old Testament you have a separation between the Kings and the priests. And the kings are not allowed to do what the priests do, and the priests are not allowed to do what the kings do, and you have separate roles there. And then, in the New Testament, you have the command from Jesus to render to Caesar what is Caesar's and render to God the things that right. are God's. So that doesn't mean right. we don't want just laws, but we we don't want to live in. I guess what we don't want to live in is an ecclesiocracy, right? The religious leadership is the leadership of the state. We want a firm separation between those things.
1: So what's your understanding of, uh, basing the laws on, you know, the Bible or, you know, what's your whole, your personal approach and understanding of this? Because so far I don't hear much difference. And I think it's part of it could be just, uh, um, so what I'm looking for rhetorical.
2: Yeah, well, I, I think that probably there's lots of things we would uh, agree on, right? But what's going to change is the uh, foundations and some implications of that as well. So basically, that uh, if you take some of the some of the some of the um, more sort of brutal laws in the Old Testament things like uh, stoning for adultery stoning for homosexuality stoning for idolatry etc et right w- what you will see is those are firmly connected to this idea of this having this earthly holy place in the temple which isn't a thing in the new testament right israel is based on this idea of you have an earthly holy place And it's all about keeping the unclean world out of that earthly, holy place. So a lot of these stoning to death kind of commandments are to do with keeping the purity of the land from these unclean influences. Now in the New Testament, those things are still sins, but the way we're operating is is different, right? It's not that adultery is suddenly good. It's not that rebellion against parents is suddenly good. But that right. we're not looking for an earthly state to kind of impose that morality through the sword. So um, there's a parable in Matthew 13 where Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a farmer who sowed crops in a field and then an enemy came and sowed weeds at night and the servants say look there are weeds here and they and and they said should we pluck them up and destroy them and the master of the field says no let them both grow together till the end of the age and then separate them. So there's a very firm directive in Jesus's kingdom that it's not the job of the righteous to kill the wicked with like force, right? That's not the point. You just kind of like leave people to themselves and let God deal with people at the end. There's no earthly, holy place to protect anymore, right? But as well as having these, Ceremonial laws that, that protect people's religion and the temple, there are some general equity principles that I would want to apply. So, for example, um, like how you deal with um, theft, for example, in the Bible, would be that it's ultimately about restoring what's taken from the victim. So, if somebody steals something in America today, They go to jail right they steal my stuff and then they get put in they get locked in a cell like an animal with a bunch of other people and they usually come out as better educated criminals and in the bit in the biblical view the primary thing is restoration of the victim so the punishment for theft in the bible for example is you have to restore fourfold what you have stolen and then if you couldn't do that then you'd have to work for that person for a fixed time until that's paid off and so ultimately you have a system that's about an objective idea of restoration and justice and punishment rather than arbitrarily locking people up for no reasons and so some so some most crimes are dealt with through civil means And other crimes are dealt dealt with through corporal punishment. So things like uh, murder, rape, uh, enslaving somebody, right? Those would be capital crimes which would receive a death penalty. So I'd be in favor of a system which generally has much less kind of imprisonment of people, more sort of corporal punishment for severe crimes and focused on sort of restoration. But I don't believe there's kind of a chapter you can read to go get this list of, okay, copy and paste from Leviticus uh, and put it straight in the Constitution. I, I, I believe that there's wisdom and thought that needs to be put into applying something like that in the modern world, but I'm looking for the principles of justice and righteousness in God's Word and I want to find ways to apply those well in law.
0: I I get it. Um, no, I understand where you're
1: coming from, but I, uh, yeah, it sounds like it's kind of, you know, I, we pick and choose whatever we want, want to take. And I, I don't think that sounds, you know, that's a very, well, I disagree with, you know, choosing anything. That's just like saying, okay, the Bible is going to do it this way because we think it's probably the most wise way. But, I mean, it doesn't sound like you guys are very just like, you know, if you actually believe that the Bible um, is, you know, a good source of law, good source of laws for everything, not just for, you know, certain things that you think is, is makes, you know, is, uh, is less, you know, people aren't going to see you guys are crazy for trying to apply them.
2: Yeah. And and I, I would push back on the idea that I'm trying to pick and choose, uh, arbitrarily because even the Bible has an internal, even the old Testament itself has an internal logic of how these things are applied. Right. So if you take, say, the kosher dietary laws. There's no civil punishment for not doing those. Right. There's a difference between sins and crimes. So, for example, being drunk is a sin, but it's not a crime under the Bible's law. And then, But whereas stealing would be a sin and a crime with a specific legal punishment to go with it, and so you have to there, – there's a differentiating between what is a sin and what is a crime. It has always been a theme of the Bible, and, and, and it's important for Christians to be able to, to, be able to do that. But, but it's not the same as kind of inconsistently saying, okay, well, I like this, but I don't like this. You've got to really wrestle with it because we can always – Right. – laws which make it feel good.
1: Yeah, but I mean, you earlier you uh, you said that you know you wouldn't necessarily be for applying some of the uh, capital punishment laws in the Bible and stoning people for adultery or uh, you know for homosexuality or whatnot. But those are those are also you know they're not just sins; they're also you know the Bible considers them punishable crimes.
2: Yes, um, the, the, but as a reader of the Bible, right. You and like even on on a surface level reading of it. Now you, you may take some time to work out the sort of nitty gritty of the details here, but there is a trajectory where those are crimes in the Old Testament, and they're not punished as crimes in the New Testament, and there's no attempt to try and establish a way to punish those things as crimes. So
1: right, but the New Testament. Is- I mean, that's another issue, right, is that the New Testament itself has never really been used as a, a source of law because it doesn't contain, you know, it's not, it doesn't contain any uh, detailed um, legal, you know, it, it's not, it, I've, I've read the Bible several times, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And, you know, when you read the Old Testament, you get this sense that there's a, there's a really good law, on it, right? In the New Testament, you have some of that, but it isn't fully built out and um you know a lot of this what we're talking about i feel it's like uh, very theoretical and very personal personal or subjective according to the reader and according to you know what, what your school is what um, your church is or or um you know what your own opinions are rather than what the bible actually says or the new testament um and and the new testament itself has never you know has never been used as a as a, as a source of law in the first place, and in, 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 I mean, it's been used indirectly, but um, most of the, the laws that are in the New Testament or the, the, um, the opinions, they're either based on something in the Old Testament or they're, they're rebuking, you know, something in the Old Testament. But it doesn't really have own, like, legal framework, I don't feel, at least from my reading, and, you know, different churches might say differently. I know that some churches, um, you know, they try to build their own framework, but that's also an interpretation. It's not, like, it's not necessarily an objective or only one. I think that's an, an issue. I mean, at least when you're talking about you know Jewish law or Islamic law, um, they're pretty built out and they've actually been applied. Especially Islamic law, it's been applied in the real world among many people. And I'm not I'm not arguing personally or applying Islamic law in the modern world myself. Anyways, um, I'm I'm more you know uh, as I'm arguing with you right now. I'm more for secular laws in terms of application for people in general. Um, but even just comparing Islam. With with what Christianity you know, Islam has that whole kind of legal framework. But I feel like um, in Christianity, it's much more kind of a modern uh, approach. The Catholic Church itself, it it had certain laws and whatnot that was papal law. It wasn't necessarily from the Bible, or was, or the the Pope would you know interpret the Bible. Kind of what I mean. What you're kind of approaching it yourself right now. It's like okay, the Pope would read something from Bible, and then they they try to pass a law uh, among or the, the the king of the area, as you said earlier, you know there was always this sense of uh, separation between church and state, in, in the you know Christianity, in terms of Old Testament, I might disagree a little bit with you in terms of like basing it on the Old Testament because the way that Zach applied among Jews or whatnot in in the Holy Land, um, it wasn't necessarily applied to non-Jews. Um, but there's other laws applied to non-Jews, like you know killing them all <laughs> in the in the Old Testament. Um, so what i'm trying to say here is that because it's so subjective and because it isn't really like laid out as as a as a source of law um you can't really like you know the issue becomes oh this person and you know that person will have different of what the bible says and um you know that doesn't even make it a suitable source of, of of
2: law so what while you say that i'd actually argue that kind of everything you're advocating for which you're calling secular law has come to us out of the New Testament being applied to law. So, take, take say, um, let's take, say, um, freedom of expression as one of them, that dissenting voices don't get squashed by the majority, right? That comes directly out of an appeal to the New Testament. Now, you've definitely had freedom of expression at various points in history, right? So even uh, Tiberius Caesar says that in a free state, the heart and the mind and the tongue must also be free. And you've clearly got examples of that during Islamic history at times as well. When So there's this really interesting book called The Apology of Al-Kindi, which is the first recorded dialogue 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 between a Muslim and a Christian, and right, I've read it. Yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, and the at the beginning of that, he has full permission from the Khalifa to speak his mind without any consequences. Right, Uh, Right. because generally, freedom of expression is connected to the sort of um, power of the throne, right. And if the, if the throne feels secure, then, you, then you're generally okay. And so in, right. so in the early Islamic societies, Christians and Jews and other minorities didn't really have any issue being able to say what they thought. Now, if you're a dissenting Muslim voice, it may be a little different, right? So if you're a traditionalist, when the Muatazalites are reigning... It also depends on what,
1: on what I'm... It also depends on on the on the periods. I mean, different periods you had that, you know, d- dissenting Islamic voices where they're allowed to dissent, and other periods
0: it's kind of
1: similar. I think in general there was more freedom speech for non-Muslim like than 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 Muslim sects where there's a lot more of kind of the inter nicene type uh, violence sometimes, or just uh, you know just shutting them up because you don't want people to be misguided. uh But in 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 different periods, there was there was pretty open you know, di- um, uh, debate between different Islamic sects as
0: well.
2: And, and so you kind of have this up and down in history. Uh, but right. the, w- in, at least it is precedent in sort of Western law really comes from John Milton and John Locke. And if you read both of their works, that John Locke's letter concerning toleration is straight up an appeal to the life of Jesus. So he's, he's saying that if Jesus himself does not use coercion or force to bring about obedience to the truth in anybody, how much more should we as his people uh, not do that to others? And the The advantage, then the reason he can make that argument is because, as you know, you can read the entirety of the life of Jesus in like an afternoon. And it's just sort of self evidently true that Jesus himself never uses coercion to get his point across. And so having a popular, accessible sort of standard of morality gives you the kind of grounding that you can make appeals to. Now, you, no, so, so yes, there's room for interpretation, but that room for interpretation is, um, you know, it, it's limited, right? And so, so if, let's take um, how the Bible is used in, say, Nazi Germany. So in, in Nazi Germany, Hitler makes some limited appeals to Christianity as well. But in order to do that, they have to... Kind of reinvent Christianity. They they create something called positive Christianity, which removes the Old Testament, uh, removes all references to Jesus being Jewish, and then sort of says, "Well, the, our best Aryan scholars have found out that Jesus is actually part of an Aryan village that was conquered by the Jews a hundred years before he was born, and he was an Aryan who's there to fight the Jews." Right? So you you can't from within the Bible itself, make the case for Nazism. you have to very, very selectively get parts of it to do that. And the same is true- I mean, with- a lot of
1: people have done that though. There's a lot of, uh, I mean, other than the, uh, the Nazis, there's a lot of neo-Nazi and white nationalist type groups that today, that are operating today and are growing, um, that are advocating for um, a white Christian American state that excludes everybody else. And I think that's, that's a big danger, um, and it's very relevant today. To just some of the people are very close to the centers of power.
2: Yeah, and, and for sure those people exist, right? But ultimately, what you will see is that people have to read it very selectively, and ultimately will have to replace it with something. So generally, what you'll see in say white supremacist movements is that you'll move away from christianity and move towards more sort of occultism and odinism like you're gonna you're gonna see people write reading the bible as kind of a metaphor or a sort of allegory for something rather than the plain reading because you cannot get away from how judeo-centric the bible is right there's right there's like one mention of people who you could consider white people, which is a throwaway line to the Scythians, Right. And that's it. So you kind of have to build your own version with it. And I'm very concerned about that. I am far more concerned about people manipulating and misusing the Bible than I am about, uh, Muslims or people from secular backgrounds or anything of the kind. I'm much more concerned about the misuse of the Bible itself because it's, it's a real issue,
1: right? And, I mean, I think that's the real risk in, in, in using um, the Bible or any book as a, a source of, uh, of your law is that you're going to get these type of groups and sometimes they're powerful and have money and whatnot. And, uh, you know, sometimes they, were, they operate in the shadows. So allowing them to get a foothold into the government, into our, our legal system, I think is, is very dangerous. And, um, you know, cutting off that, that opportunity and that... Um, Doorway for theocracy, I think, is very important. The only way you can do that is uh, by separation of church and state.
2: So, I I guess when we talk about theocracy, right, um, neither of us are atheists, right? No. Right. So, ultimately, rule by God is good.
0: Not
1: necessarily. Not. I mean, that's an area of interpretation. I think, like, what is rule by God?
2: So, so, but on on a fundamental sense, right? I mean, I personally believe
1: that rule by God in yourself, not necessarily forcing, um, or the rulers to like rule by God. Obviously, you want them to rule by morality, but I don't think morality is something that's. uh, you know, is only the domain of, of religious people or, or people who believe in God even. I mean, I, I, I've, I've known and know, you know lots of atheist people are very moral and more moral than some religious people that I know. Um, so it, for me, the the law and the application of the law has to be based on, on um, I mean, saying that this kind of opens a, a bad world that's based on morality. Um, and, and that's what you want to look for in your, in your leaders, in the people that you vote for, in the people that are legislating, in the people that are going to be in, um, in the courts. And then, that, the, then the difference there is, the, you know, what's, what's morality? How do you define morality? Who's, who's the arbiter of morality? What's it based on? Um, but I think most people have a, a sense of, of right and wrong and have a, a general sense of, of morality Um that pretty universal i feel i mean there's obviously differences in, in certain things but um in in general you can i mean if somebody is, is corrupt right and they're going to use their their position for corruption that's, that's something that nobody would differ on that that's not moral um whether you're atheist or not and if somebody was to argue that it was i mean obviously you have this type of uh, you know ideology of uh, ultimate subjectivity that any, anything can be moral but most people would do for that and i don't think most people i mean if they knew and unfortunately like we're living these weird times today that we know that these people a lot of these people are corrupt and people still vote for them that's that's a big issue but if you ask people who are voting you know do do you agree with corruption they're going to say no i don't
2: well i think so i I think the thing we're trying to avoid right is is not so much it's we're not trying to avoid god we're trying to avoid people who claim to ro- to reign on God's behalf.
1: Right, right. I mean, yeah, obviously, if a person believes in God, that's not something like, especially for us, it's not it's okay to vote for this guy because he believes in God. But it's it's the use of God and the use of religion. How does that person use God and use religion? And um, that's, I think, the um, the biggest concern. I personally have
2: yeah and I, I, have the, I would have the exact same concern that in, in any setting right that um, just, just on a personal level when if a Christian comes up to me and, say, and says you know God told me to tell you this then I'm, <laughs> I'm immediately hesitant right? because at that point you're making me make the decision that you're either a prophet or a false prophet. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And there's not really any middle ground, right? I'm not, I'm not dealing with you as a person anymore. I'm either dealing with the best thing or the worst thing. And right. uh, And so on a personal level, I I don't want to see that at all. Um, Even less so on a, on a government level. Like I think the divine, the idea of the divine right of Kings is one of the worst possible ideas we could ever have.
1: Right. I mean, right now we have some people like in, in, in the South and in certain states, I can't, I think it was in Georgia um, or was it Florida? There was a mayor who said that God told his wife to open up the city, like to break, to break the lockdown. And I was just like, you know, that's his source of law was his understanding of like, you know, that him or was a prophet or something. You know? That's very dangerous is this. People can claim, you know, that God told them to do something and they do it. Um, I mean, that's even more dangerous, obviously than saying I'm basing this on the Bible. Cause you're just basing it on, on your dreams or something or yourself than expecting people to believe that, you know, you have some type of uh, connection to God.
2: Right. Right. And, and so in, in my mind, the Bible, and I think internally is not, a stepping stone for people to kind of keep writing that it puts some specific limits around what people should be able to do so even in even in say the uh the rules for say israelite kings you have a principle that a king must not acquire many horses and go and fight in foreign wars that he shouldn't acquire many wives he shouldn't acquire vast amounts of gold and that he's to write out the law himself and read it every day of his life so that his heart will not be exalted above that of his brothers. So a a leader in the Bible is supposed to be somebody who with a humble personal life, a humble financial life, who's not arrogant, does not take bribes and is is kind of under authority as well as being an authority and and the problem i think that we're that we're that we're looking we're both against is people who want to take this take religion as a license from god to rule by fiat right i do what i want because god is on my side
1: i mean but the problem is that's kind of unavoidable To a lot, and it's hard to avoid that happening. I mean, you might get one good leader, and the next one is exactly that type of person. And I think that's one of the big risks of uh, of basing your laws on or just of leadership on
0: religion.
2: Well, I, I think you have that problem with anything, though, because you know, if you look at, say, the French Revolution, or say. Uh, or say, sort of uh, Marxism, that you can, you or while you don't have a god, you have an establishment, you have an established principle of revolution. You have a, a principle of, um, okay, uh, the oppressed overthrowing the oppressor, and the definition of who that is keeps moving, so that you know you you get past a group of people who legitimately, genuinely are oppressive. And then you start arresting random farmers. And so any ideology, any ideology, any worldview is can be, in, right. is, in is, is a tool for the people who want to use it nefariously.
0: Right. Um no, I, I agree with you that like
1: any any religion, any law is subject to misuse. Um, I just, I mean, to kind of circle back to the, I guess, you know, core differences, um, I just feel it's, uh, it's an undemocratic process of saying, okay, I mean, the, what I'm trying to understand from you, I guess, is what's your understanding of how this would work in the real world in in, in our circle? I mean, what would change? How would that change? Um, how would that? Work with with the constitution as we have it now. Um, just I'm trying to understand where you're coming from, exactly, in terms of because I, mean, I agree with any 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 source of, of law or, or power can be misused. But um, you know, how do you understand using the Bible as a source of law on uh, America?
2: Yeah. So I think I think f- f- first of all that I think the constitution itself comes from a, it it comes largely from Protestant tradition, not entirely, right? For sure, there's some secular enlightenment in there as well, but there is some Protestant Christian ethics very strongly um, woven into it from the beginning. So I don't have a, but the, the way I see transformation happening is I don't see, say, an overthrow of the U.S. government, and then a, and then biblical law being imposed like an anvil on the rest of society, because that's not how God's kingdom spreads. It spreads through, um, you know, it spreads through hearts and minds before it ever spreads into legal precedents, right? So, what I'm concerned about is like I I don't. Th- Like, this is my issue with how the whole country works right now is that it's like we are kind of competing with each other to try and basically find some very powerful executive figure who can impose the will of the people we agree with on the people we disagree with. Like, I have literally zero interest in trying to coerce people who are not Christians, to live like Christians. And I, I, I'm, I, all want, I want to be entirely about persuasion, not about coercion. Um, so my ma- the main you know, thing I, I, I'm thinking about is that Christian ideas spread through people and, and through culture, and then eventually there does come a legal question. Because if you believe that the Bible is the ultimate, um, is the ultimate standard of God's word communicated to humanity, then, then ultimately, just laws should conform to that in some sense. and the prob- if you don't have a good framework for it, you'll inevitably get a bad framework for it. So I think many of the problems in Christian Western history have come from the point where Christians are not expecting to be in any power. Then they get power and they're terrible with it. So if you look at the first, um, say 300 years of church history, you have Christianity being illegal for about 250 years. And then in the edict of Milan, I believe that Christianity is, um, made legal in like 312 and I think in like 385 or something it's made the official state religion. Now, right. You know, so you're going from a persecuted underground group to the like official state religion in 80 years and no one's prepared for that. So what do you do? You take down the Eagles, you put up crosses, you paint crosses on all the legionary shields. You replace the pagan public prayers with, um, with the you know Christian public prayers, you replace the high priesthood with a Christian priesthood and you get the papacy and so that's and through and through that by having a um, you know and by and, and sometimes by people doing good things' just not being prepared for the follow through like the real that's one stage of it and then the big stage of it in in Western Europe is under Gregory, the great and truly a phenomenal leader, but he's the Bishop of Rome or the Pope. Um,
1: right. The Gregorian calendar.
2: Yeah. But the reason, basically the state government had collapsed. There's no one left to help people. And there's this huge refugee crisis because the Lombards are invading Italy. And this guy solves the refugee crisis by getting private money to fund and and kind of coordinating people to look after each other and basically fixes and feeds everyone and at that point right there's no state government this guy is really effective well of course you want that kind of guy right i mean if you can imagine somebody solving unemployment and solving poverty like you want that guy as your leader but they don't think about the follow through so you kind of get this singular powerful church in europe that gains more and more power, because you don't have a good framework of government. These things just tend to happen in a collapse. So my concern, right, is having a thorough Christian understanding that's based in the Bible and history, which is which is restrained and thoughtful, not reactionary.
0: Right, but the the the, the, the issue
1: I like. That's just one, you know, that's your personal wish interpretation of it. And, you know, I just feel like um, there's, it's just too possible for you to get back to the exact situation we had before with, you know, blasphemy laws and, and killing people for being heretics. and You know what I'm saying? It's just, it's a slippery slope to a large degree and extreme is something built to human beings to a large extent. I mean, people, it's very easy for people in societies to go extreme under the the right or the wrong circumstances. Um, And once you say, okay, this is a a religious country based on on Christianity or whatnot, um, you know, maybe in the beginning or under certain leadership, you'll have a, a fair state, whatnot, that everybody's treated fine and, you know, it's taken the good things. But, it's easy to kind of fall into um, applying the worst of, of the Bible I mean I mean that's something that I see as uh, differentiating let's say the Bible from um, or from like something like Marxism is like it doesn't have i mean yes this whole idea of, of revolution and whatnot can I mean it, it can lead to violence and whatnot um, but it doesn't have all, all of the laws when in the old testament that people can say oh this is in the bible so we have to go you know we have to go chop off their heads and you know uh, stone these people because they did this and that and maybe in the beginning that's not how it'd be but that's how it end um, and that's why i think in the first the uh funders of the constitution they instituted um you know this separ- this strict separation of church and state and and um, you know you're right that there's certain things that were uh, based on their understanding you know, you know Understanding of religion, all that and these are historical and cultural, um, you know, they're products of their, their history and their culture. So, obviously, nobody I'm not saying that that's not true, but they also, I mean, if you read um, uh, letters or whatnot, you can also see that they're very concerned about, um, you know, the Bible being used. I and mean, the whole, you know, the, the first, um, the, it's uh, it called, uh, um, the Establishment Clause, you know, that's the whole reason why it was, it was put in, in the first place is, is so that there won't be one religion above the other religions. Because when that happens, then it can lead to much worse, uh, you know, result. At the at the same time, um, you know, you mentioned a few things so far that I, I didn't really respond to, but I just wanted to kind of bring up in terms of like, um, you know, that the that the idea of of freedom of speech is, is the bible um while at the same time the bible or the old testament talks about you know as blasphemy laws and that people who worship other gods um you know they need to be killed <laughs> um and then also you have uh, you mentioned earlier about, about theft yeah. in terms of uh uh you know you know if the person doesn't have that same law that you're talking about you know what what, what do you do, what are you supposed to do according to the bible if the person doesn't have anything
2: um they would be an indentured servant until they've paid it off.
1: Yeah. They'd be slave. They'd be taken as a slave until it's paid off. I mean, that's, that's the problem, right? It's like, okay, the first part maybe makes a little bit of sense. And then you're
0: like,
1: okay, we'll do the second part. Um, and then additionally it's like, since this hasn't been used in, in modern times, and we don't even know how that'd be. So it's just testing, you know, maybe it'll work out. Maybe won't, won't, uh, while we
0: have,
1: have models, I mentioned this in, in that you know in that discussion on Facebook in terms of like we have other models that work or that are based on science and research and whatnot that you can apply instead of testing something from you know a book that's two thousand years old or, or older than two thousand years. Um, you have different models from around the world that do have research that show uh, that these laws work. I mean, it doesn't have to be just because oh it says that in the Bible. I mean, I'll give you my perspective. I, am, I know I'm a little bit low, but um, in uh, there's a debate within the uh, Islamic tradition called uh, well there's a theory called maq- maqasidism or um, it's like it literally could uh, uh, translate to objectivism but obviously that has a different meaning in the western philosoph- philosophical sense but it, it's okay are these laws that are in the law for themselves or are they for an actual objective you know um, and I'm I'm on uh, religious laws though, the way that they're formulated whether they're in the, the Quran or even in the Bible I mean this the, this law even though it's it's taken from the context of the Quran and Islamic law um, I think it's it's a good framework and a good way of understand um, if a person believes in God or they believe in religion whether it's Islam Christianity or Judaism or any other religion it's a good way of trying to understand um, the the religion I mean there's different schools of Maccabism but one is that okay these laws they are not meant for themselves they're meant to achieve certain objectives so instead of saying okay we have to chop off this person i mean there's long traditions you know in sharia um if a person steals they get their hand cut off right instead of saying um let's do that, that this is this what i'm saying right now is actually pretty controversial even in the islamic tradition i mean people there would be some mad people saying you're saying blasphemy or whatnot but i'm going to say it i mean it's an actual opinion among some some jurists even, that, um, and that was actually applied even during certain historical times, even by Omar, where he, he paused the whole idea of cutting people's hands off or whatnot for a certain period um, because it wasn't achieving the objective that the law was there for, which is to, uh, to minimize the So when we, we want to create laws, um, whether it's secular laws, whether it's Christianity or whatnot, I think for me, my personal perspective is that we should look at what we're trying to achieve it shouldn't be just based on um, punishing a person I agree with you a person should be for reform right Um, what's the best and most humane way to reform the individual um, without you know necessarily hurting them or whatnot I think we have that, whether it's theft or any other area I mean when we talk about uh, corporal punishment which you you mentioned I think most people would agree that it's uh, it's not a humane way of, of dealing with People are inhumane, and um, what you know—it's it's in these religious books and whatnot. But maybe the you know the reason that it's in there is that that's how it was done at the time, and that's how it worked. But we don't necessarily have to use the most inhumane, you, you know, method to get to the results that we want to achieve. And you know, most of the research today um, actually shows that corporal punishment doesn't work. I mean, not necessarily on a legal basis, because I mean there might be some research for that. I just I I'd need to look into it more in terms of like. Country actually use corporal punishment today. Um, but in terms of even just raising your child, tons of research shows that corporal punishment actually makes the kid worse, makes it more likely that they're going to do things but behind your back, so it becomes so much more secretive. You can see that in societies that practice corporal punishment, um, like let's say Saudi Arabia in terms of like, legal law. I mean, a lot of the things that we're talking about, um, they still happen, and they happen to a larger extent possibly, even except nobody knows about it because people are much more or doesn't really stop, um, crimes from happening. But then you look at like other societies, like, um, some of the Scandinavian countries are very, you know, the way that they deal with criminals seems to be very humane, um, and very reform based and rather than, than just punish and, and they have excellent results they have the lowest recidiv- recidivism rates in the whole world. So that's, that's my personal, um, approach and understanding to these things.
2: Yeah. So, so when I'm, um, so, so when we talk about, say, um, you know, indentured servitude uh, after theft, right? So I think you, you you may you may it may be a different route when comparing it to Scandinavia, but there's still a prison system in Scandinavia. Now the sentences are lighter and the conditions are nicer, but it's still essentially slavery when you're in it. Like you're still confined to a specific area. So the, and, and much more so in say the U S prison system, right. <laughs> right? So it's, it's not a case of, yeah, it's not really a it's not really a question of freedom or slavery and punishing crimes. It's a, it's a question of what kind of limitations are imposed on you in these settings. Right. So, in Right, if, but, but there's a
1: difference between putting somebody in a, in a jail and having them become your personal indentured servant. And, um, you know, when, when they're your personal indentured servant or slave, um, the potential for abuse is much higher. I mean, even though our prisons are basically abusive systems anyways, but that's a problem with the American context, not necessarily the idea of jails, um, which I'm, I actually agree with you. I'm not a big fan of jails myself. I think uh, we need to use them a lot less, but um, you know, I also don't think that replacing that with corporal punishment or personal indentured servitude is a better approach.
2: So uh, ultimately the, the principles in the Bible are about one that the, is about justice for the victim first and foremost. And then, and then, reform of the criminal on a secondary sense. So there's a very important question of proper restitution to the victim. So it's not, so with what you're talking about, the objectivism sort of theory that I think there's principles that you do have to wrestle from this, right? So Maybe it doesn't necessarily need to look like, um, maybe it doesn't need to look like you have um, you personally work for a person. But let's. But we have this in U.S. civil court today. So I have a friend who works in uh, loss prevention for a lot of major retail stores, and it's not a criminal issue, but in civil case, that you have the opportunity to be able to repay what you've stolen by a certain magnitude and you have a certain amount of time to do it right. So at that point you just have debt to the person, which according to the Bible, the borrower is a slave to the lender. So debt in itself is a form of slavery that's highly advised against biblically. But when, when these things have happened that so ultimately, right. Yeah, sure. You do have. You can have. Um, you can have abuses in a system where uh, somebody specifically owes somebody else anything, right? Whether it's they owe them a day a week of work at their shop, whether they owe them a thousand dollars, whether they owe them anything, right? lender borrower relationships are a hotbed for dangerous things to happen, right? And right whatever we can do to avoid those things happening is a good is good, right? Any, any, that's not something the Bible would be for the Bible would, when you have indentured servants, they would have, you'd you'd only own what they produce. You don't own their bodies. You don't own their entire life, but abuses certainly happen in any system where there's borrowers and lenders and people owe anything. But the ultimately, there's, there's principles behind these things, which is what we're trying to extract from this.
0: So for, for you, it's more of a, a moral
1: aspect rather than just the, the laws themselves. It's the morality that's behind it.
2: Y- yeah, yeah. And now morality definitely comes into laws. Uh, so for example, right? Um, an Old Testament one and a New Testament one that still affects our justice system today. The concept of innocent until proven guilty is a really important thing. That, like, that's, that's a moral thing and a legal thing. That you can't prosecute somebody without the proper amount of lines of evidence to do so. And then the right to remain, to remain silent, that's actually a tradition taken from the trial of Jesus where he doesn't answer his accusers. So that, that's, and that's a huge part of Western legal tradition that you don't have to answer somebody who's, um, prosecuting you.
1: Yeah. But I think a lot of these concepts, they're, uh, they're pretty universal in the sense that they, uh, I mean, they're not just found religions. They're also found even before Judaism, some of these like things that we're talking about, um, they're found in different societies and different law systems. I mean, I think that uh, some of the things that we're talking about—they're based on. In the Western context, um, I mean, other than the, the the Bible itself, we have you know you have Roman law, you have Greeks. Um, you actually have a lot of stuff taken from the Arabic system. The whole idea of the jury it was taken from what uh, uh, the the Maghribi country and, and Spain, um, which is based on the Maliki school of law. Um, so what I'm trying to say is that that doesn't prove or show that, okay, that's why we have to take these laws from things that are fine, found in it, or that the Bible is necessarily even the um, original source of these things, which I mean, I think it's inconsequential anyways, even if it was, Um, but you get what you get where I'm, I'm going with this. It doesn't necessarily mean that, The bible is the source of the u.s law and even if it was what does that i mean that doesn't mean that we have to use it now as a source of the u.s law either
2: right so i think i I, and i wouldn't say okay because this is the past right this is what we should go to now because i'm now in in my um i'm very much a proponent from learning good things from history and removing bad things from history right so we uh not not like literally removing them so we don't think about them, that we learn not to repeat certain lessons from from the past as well. So I'm not I'm not trying to get back to 1723 or anything. Uh I'm I'm trying to apply principles that we've learned that are in the Bible um to to the world around me, right? So um so take, say, so taking, like, say, the freedom of expression conversation, that that's still something that's very important to me, right? Uh, to have freedom of expression and not just for myself, but especially for people who I disagree with as well. Um, the, it's very easy to get away from freedom of expression. Time and time again, it's easy to do that because if you believe that another group is a danger to your way of life and that them speaking too much can bring down your entire reality, then your own moral system necessitates that you stop people from talking. So, um, so so often I think the, my, my concerns with like irreligious uh, sort of worldviews and the way they play out is that typically all humans everywhere tend to drift towards the ends justify the means. That's why we have the voting patterns we have, right? that, okay, this is awful, this person sucks, but this other person sucks more, therefore I'm just going to kind of swallow my scruples and hold my nose and vote for this person that I don't like because, well, the other people are worse than we are and we've got to do whatever we've got to do to beat them. Right. And, and so if, you, if, you, if you're in a... Like there's, and there's plenty of people who would actively justify that kind of of thinking of the ends justify the means, right? And the more power you get, the easier it is to keep justifying the ends you use to stay in power. Like, you know, if I think of Saudi Arabia, for example, I'm convinced that Mohammed bin Salman wants to do in his mind what he thinks is good. But when you start believing it's all in your ability to control things and control the world around you, you, you kind of lose that. So Do you really believe that
1: others are trying to do what's best? I don't.
2: <laughs> I, I try and take people – I try and give people the benefit of the doubt. Like I, I think I, – I, genu- I generally believe most people are doing – are trying to rationalize themselves as a good guy. Like I, I think I think it's very it's a very rare moment of clarity that somebody is like realizes, okay, I suck, but I'm just gonna keep doing this anyway. I'm not saying it never happens, but I think generally people, people find excuses, right? That they kind of, well, but this person over right. here this thing over but here. I,
1: No, I I get what you're saying. I think uh, I think people try to, uh, I mean, people, a lot of these people, they try to justify what's best for them is best for everybody, and that's a big problem. Um, so it's not coming from a real sincere, I mean, this is what I believe personally. It's not coming from a sincere place of concern. Like, hey, if this is good for me, then it's good for most people or most people that I actually care about, which is people of my, uh, my social socioeconomic class and whatnot i'm not saying most people think that way but i think a lot of people in power most power structures they they think that way it becomes a self-sustaining type of uh of uh application um and not just in in like political system even in uh you know in companies things like that i think to a large extent a lot of people are motivated by self protection um regardless of how that affects others i mean they, they might try to do that in a more humane way but if it comes down to, to um a lot of people uh will do whatever they can to stay in a, in power and that's a big issue and i think that's a great thing about our our political system is that it it can it somewhat manages that so far it's, it's, been pretty successful at doing that i don't know about the next few years (laughs) what's going to come but um, in terms of keeping people from becoming dictators and taking over the system and not being able to be removed um i think that's that's a good thing um the other thing regarding that point i know we're kind of off topic but uh, there's actually some studies that show that a lot of of rulers and and people in power they're actually sociopaths i mean the the level of sociopath. In terms of like percentage-wise, is off the charts for like people in positions of power, and there's been a lot of research on, on that, um, just psychological research, and whatnot, and you know whether it's it, it's kind of the
0: confluence
1: of narcissism and, and sociopathy. It's very high among people. It, it helps people succeed. It helps them get ahead, but that's a big problem when it, it comes at the expense of everybody else.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I I'd entirely believe that, but I, I'd say even generally, even people who are sociopaths. They don't necessarily have a great deal of empathy for other people, but they still think that that what they're doing is beneficial for people, right? They can still sell themselves on it. And maybe they kind of like live in a little less stress about it and can have an easier time doing it. But I think, say, it's easy it's easy to look at the world and say, if you're if you're say the Saudi royal family and look at somewhere like Libya and see like, well, see, if we weren't who we are, we'd be like this. Right. It's easy, it's easy for all of us to do that. It's like, okay, yeah, well, I'm not the best person in the world, but at right. least I'm not in, blank.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with you. Most people don't wake up in the morning and say, I'm a bad guy. I want to be a bad guy today. But they know that. And they still do it, so it's it doesn't matter what they think about themselves. Um, it I you know I, I prefer to look at the actions and uh, and you know why they're doing the things that they're doing. Specific um, things like nobody says I'm a bad guy, but they know that they're doing pretty bad stuff. Uh, like just in terms of like corruption, which is a global phenomenon that we have a lot of here in the U.S. now. That's very you know blatant. Um, There's no way to like justify that and say, "Oh, I'm doing something good." I mean, there's—I get that there's certain way. The way that they try to justify it for other people is, "Oh, this is a win-win. You know, we win and they win, and it's good for everybody." But I think I personally believe that at their heart of hearts, they know that this is bad, and they they, they don't care as long as they get the money from what they're doing or they benefit from it. They don't care how how negative it affects everybody. Um, and there's a lot of research that shows that, like, you know, people have been pointed out, like, okay, this is bad. What you're doing is harming millions of people, and they still do it. So, I mean, I don't know how to like uh, uh, equate out with somebody who has any type of moral concern for other people, um, in terms of other people that's outside of their own, you know, own circle of, of their friends and family and like people that are of their class.
2: Right, and that's it. Right, you've got a tribalistic um, morality right? You've got, okay, it's not like complete selfishness, but it's drawing a little a, a sort of circle around the people who are sort of really important and doing everything you can to advance the benefit of those people. Right. But, right, that's, that's one of the challenges of why you have to find an ethical you know, you've got to have an ethical standard to say no that's not actually right because if you just want to take a straight up evolutionary objective look at that then that's how things tend to thrive that tends to be the natural state of the world you look at human history as an observer and say yes this is the way the world is we can either try and cut against the grain of that system or we can embrace the system, be the best of that.
0: Yeah, that's where I,
1: I definitely disagree in terms of uh, us embracing the system and, and trying to uh, thrive within it, or that the system that we have is one that um, humans have thrived upon. I, I don't think most humans uh, have thrived throughout history, or even today, um, I think most humans have looked very, unfortunate difficult sad lives that that they necessarily didn't necessarily have to live but that were caused by um the power structures that we have um that put these people below and um i mean you've just we've just had an evolution of the way that these the forms of uh the structures and systems of oppression have looked in different ages, but we still i mean we essentially live to a large degree in a, in a feudal neo feudal society where you um, the people at the bottom pro they were, you know they work really hard to barely make it, and the people at the top are uh, enjoying the fruits of everybody else 's labor I mean, in, in a large uh, i mean you might have seen my posts and whatnot on the internet i 'm pretty uh, i 'm very into more uh, a more socialist approach economically, and I don't think that our, our the way that our economy is set up is is the best way for for human um, success. And I think that there's a lot of assumptions and lies that are told about our economy and our system that um, are just told to keep the people in power in power um, and to keep everybody else down and poor and and needy because that's what helps the people on the top stay on top
2: so um about like specifics of politics aside right i'm talking more about the driving impulse here so I'm, i'm not saying the system of world history is good right i'm saying that it's normal right and so ultimately we've got a, ch- we've got a choice whether we're going to stick to normal at where, or where, or we have some greater ideas to push towards. Right? Right. And that's where right. the question right. comes because I would say, um, oppressed oppressor is not a, is not a new way of looking at the world. It's just repeating the same cycle ultimately because you know, find me an evil empire that hasn't at one point seen themselves as the oppressed victims at some point.
1: Right. I don't think the, uh, the objective of, uh, of, I mean, since you're saying that oppressed obviously it's not just Marxism or um, these things that, like you said, throughout history, you've had the oppressed become the oppressor. Um, That's kind of a human trait more than necessarily just a system, a trait of a certain system. But I, I don't, I don't agree with that either. I think, Think that people label certain things oppression, and um, there's partial. I wouldn't call it oppression. I'd call it rebalancing, um, fixing the oppressions and the injustices that were created by the people that they're being oppressed. Um, but that doesn't mean. I mean, the by necessity giving people. Power means taking power from other people, or making sure that people are, are, you know, that the wealth is distributed equally. By necessity, to a large extent, means that some people are going to have less wealth. But I'm not saying that those people have to become oppressed, and that they have to be the bottom, be you know, killed and and put in jails or whatnot. But I do think that um, the the nature, and even even within the within Marxism itself, it doesn't necessarily call for these things. It says that these things will will probably necessarily happen the nature because when you're trying to take away certain things from people that have them they're going to fight back and that's where the oppression comes in is that these people are fighting you so you fight them you fight them back um because you're trying to make things better for everybody and i think that's uh that's probably true i mean most people like they're not going to be willing to to share some people are some people are very good about that but most people they um, they don't want to you know, they don't want to go rebound down a notch, and they're going to call that oppression. But I don't agree that it is.
2: So I think within within the framework of this, right, it comes down to the central idea of you know what people are by their nature, and how you actually push against that nature, because so and and what you used to put what and what you use to push against that nature as well, right? So you and I would both look at a world where we see some broken things in it and want to push forward the world in a way that doesn't just benefit our immediate family and tribe, that should benefit a wider group of people. Right. But I don't think that is a, that's certainly that's not the natural pattern. And for both of us to be heading in that direction, there's something outside of us, which is pushing us beyond ourselves. Like for me, I'm, I don't naturally have buckets of care for people, you know, outside of my direct vicinity. I just don't, but the Bible pushes me to, to kind of, to think more. Right. And I'm not just saying that, I'm not just saying that, okay, well, I hate this. I don't want to do this, but I'm going to do going to do it because God told me to. But the the Bible forced me to consider everybody made in the image and likeness of God to see all human beings as in, inherently valuable and to and to push beyond my own inherent selfishness and can, and be concerned about other people. Right. Whereas sort of an Ayn Randian philosophy, right, and, and lots of other philosophies would see selfishness as an inherent virtue or at least even if not self itself right there's a limit to there's a limit to how far it goes and jesus faces this when jesus says tells people to love loving your neighbor is the greatest command after loving god and then somebody says okay but who's my neighbor and he tells a story about somebody of a complete outsider rescuing somebody who's jewish and say well who's the better neighbor to him and pushes us to a world beyond that so ultimately to have you know just laws and to have a world that moves anywhere we've got to have some something outside of us that transcends us to push against the worst um, worst parts of our nature
1: i I mean i i don't think that's necessarily the um, I think that the assumption in the first part about people naturally being a uh, you know oppressive and naturally wanting to this whole idea this Darwinian worldview, and I'm not saying just it's kind of a cultural um, thing that's happened in the West and in, in recent you know the last hundred or two, well, since the Enlightenment basically, yeah. Um, but it's it's increased a lot more in, in recent years that people are inherently selfish and and, um, competitive and that everybody's trying to take from everybody else. I don't agree with that, that framing of, of humanity or people. I think people are naturally cooperative and that, um, you know, the best aspects of human history and of humanity is that cooperative thing. I do think that people do have competition with them as well, but I think that um, our social and economic structures in the modern world, the, 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 part of the cause for the great um, amount of um, selfishness and competition that makes people, this whole atomized worldview of individualism, uh, a very modern uh, phenomenon to a large extent. Most societies throughout history um, were more uh, cooperative societies. Um, I mean, for the the inner group, right? Not for everybody. Right, right. that's, where we have to expand past that, there's always been this tribalism of my my group and the people outside of it. You know, we're either gonna go to war with them or we're just gonna ignore them. <laughs> um, but I, I do think that we can we, we can transcend that. We can go beyond that in the modern world to a more uh, universal globalist. Um, I mean, I'm 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 not a nationalist either. I'm more of a global, you know, humanitarian type person uh, in terms of. I think we're a global brotherhood. And I mean our, our religious you know, the Bible and the Quran, they they talk about us all coming from from Adam anyways. Um so I, I think that it's getting people to realize that we are all we're all brothers and sisters. And um and then that's how we cooperate on that level. And I think to, to get to that though, you have to move past the systems that we've created in the modern modern world.
2: So
0: and
1: I people guess- um feel that. You know, I'm, I'm outside of this. Uh, these other people.
2: So, I guess my question about that is, is that we're talking about you know being a globalist. I, I guess I want some clarity on what you mean by that, because, like, like how would you feel if Donald Trump was a president of the world?
0: Oh, you make you get into
1: a political um position i mean on politics i i don't believe in 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 um in borders personally i don't think that we need borders there should be borders a person born in america or in europe has a you know is any better than somebody born in india or middle east or africa in terms of what they deserve in this this life um and i think that the 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 nation-state system that we have in the current world is very harmful to people on the bottom, um, whether here in the US or, I mean, especially in the third world countries, they're exploited people where we we take their resources and little uh, uh, and, you know, back to them, except, and we prop up these little dictators to, to rule them so that we could, you know, continue to take advantage of these people. Um, so no, I, I don't think that Donald Trump should be the president of the world. <laughs> I don't think that would uh that would even work in any type of system. I mean, I get what you're trying to say in terms of like these um and I'm not saying you're saying this, but I know that people talk about, you know, this new world order and um you know where you have everybody under one government. I don't think that that would work really, but I do think that we need to to move towards a system of cooper- global cooperation um where people don't think, you know, they don't deserve more because they're born they have the luck of the job being born in a in a rich country um and then on a individual level each countries i mean i am i do agree with certain supranational organizations you know or whatnot um in terms of the concept the concept of that maybe the application is not so great currently but the idea that you have um, global accountability a global type of system where countries can um can Negotiate um, among each other and find ways to agree upon um, common values, like the you know the Charter of Human Rights. That's something I I, I definitely agree with, and I think it's a great thing. So um, I think the problem right now is just uh, in terms of application, in terms of the power dynamics of uh, you have you know the rich Western countries, um, they have all the power, and the rest is still subjugated under the current system.
2: So I think that, that there's parts I agree with, parts I disagree with. So I, I am very pro nation states, but not in the sort of um, my nation against everyone else's nation kind of thing. So the, the, the idea of nation states largely comes from the Bible itself. Because if you look at Israel it's not defined by its king or its capital city it's defined by its people, its borders, and its law, which is a defining defining by a kind of common law um, and a protector of a certain people is better than one man's empire but um, God's promise to Abraham is that i'm going to make you a great nation, and through you all the nations of the earth will be Blessed, and that a great nation is supposed to be outward-facing, right? So to try to this idea of okay, we're going to be great by shutting off our borders, not welcoming foreigners. That's not how you make a great nation. The way you become a great nation is by being invested in the blessing of the whole world. So in, in my mind, borders are there not to not to stop the free flow of people. I'm pretty libertarian when it comes to people going where they want to go but it's to stop the it's to stop the um the march of powerful groups across the world right to stop militaries to stop um the, the kingdoms and dominions of um one people to de- decentralize power as much as as possible not to build empires right and what the problem with the modern nation states is not that they're too much about nation states is because they become too imperial. They become too much about centralizing everything around this. The world ro- revolves around us kind of mentality.
1: I agree with that. I'm a, I'm anti-imperialist as well.
2: Yeah. And,
1: but the, the problem with your base is the I mean, the actual implications of that from the Bible are very bad because the Jews were ordered to slaughter everybody in Palestine at the time. Uh, um, uh, And that's kind of maybe part of where this idea of uh, us against them, nation-states, is coming from in the first place, is that, okay, we have to establish a state Uh, ethno-religious, I mean, maybe we took out the religious part right now to a large extent in any countries, but it's you know the idea of a modern nation-states is based on on ethnicity and language and a shared culture and whatnot. And a lot of it is actually uh, pretty artificial in the sense that a lot of the nation-states that were established, they didn't have a national language or national ethnicity or whatnot. That was created over time. That was a big problem. I mean, like in France, before the establishment in France, there was different language there um different every different region had its own dialect that was quite different from other areas of the, of the country so what happened when they established these modern nation states is you had to get everybody to follow um i mean it has some advantages obviously at the time that erase people's history erase people's languages their cultures um and that's a big problem and i mean that's going on until today in some places um where you know if you're even in america we have to some people are like, oh, if you don't speak English, you know, like some people can beat you up. <laughs> you know, it happens. Like, so I think that's part of where this, this comes from is um, this idea that you have to have a nation state based on, I mean, on certain shared characteristics. I agree with you that you know, obviously, you need to have security, and you don't want to. You need to have a way to fight back against um, imperial you know, other countries. Like my, what I'm saying right now isn't necessarily a hundred percent possible in the current world in terms of like, you'll get some country, rogue countries or whatnot that want to take you over or, or exploit you or whatnot. So that's a, that's a big issue. But to, to a large extent, that's the West doing that to the East, not other way around. Um, and there are, I mean, I don't think that, I think that you need like the, the idea of borders is more in terms of like just security rather than um, immigration or whatnot. So I think we kind of agree on that. Um, but the uh, of uh, of the nation state itself in the way that's conceived in the in the modern world is something that i'm i'm not for either um I, in, in that regards i'm kind of uh i'm i'm still kind of exploring my personal ideology in terms of the state and state power because there's there's good things for it and there's some very bad things about it as well mm-hmm. and um, i think i think if you read into uh, uh the, the literature on and anarchy and anarcho- anarchists—they make some really good points about not having a state in the first place. It's just the problems like how do how do you do that in the real world, or um, how do you apply that in a way that even if you had it yourself, other countries will come and take over. So in, in, during the Spanish Revolution uh, uh, in the early 20th century, they they actually had a, an anarchist state without a state, like without state power, without the, a government, right? And it worked pretty well. I mean, the people—they also. Same and, all and the problem was then you have the other foreign powers and the, the Spanish uh, loyalists themselves, they came in the, kicked their asses, <laughs> you know, they are like, No, you guys we don't want you to live like that. And if you don't if you're not organizing to stay or govern it's hard to fight back, um unless it's like guerrilla warfare, militias and whatnot. And so I'm I'm personally still kind of trying to navigate because I mean right now during the coronavirus, we see that when you have a strong state response to state. Um, institutions that can respond to these type of major things you can't just rely on the free market you have to rely on um, on organized state uh, um, involved in, in the in the problem because if you just rely on the free market um, you're gonna get things we saw what happened earlier when this first started like we didn't have enough ventilators we didn't have enough uh, masks all the type type of issues because the way our state has moved in the last, you know, our country has moved in the last forty years or so since um, the rise of neoliberalism. Um, we've moved away from any type of state intervention towards like totally free market, which doesn't provide any um, any uh, back. You know, if it's not if it's not making them money, then they're not going to do it. And that's a big problem when you have to deal with something on a on a national or global global level. And you see that the countries have dealt best with this with the this virus and the response. Have been the countries that have uh, the strongest type of um, uh, more socialist type states and more uh, the strongest type of um, state power involvement in that. So it's it's a double edged sword, definitely.
2: Right, right, and just um, to clarify something, right the with the Israelites in say the like the extermination of the Canaanites, uh, even in the text itself, it says, "This is for these nations." you're not to do this when you go to war with the nations around you. So if even if somebody, even if a modern say super Orthodox Israeli in the IDF, which isn't really a thing, that's not really, it's not really ultra Orthodox that are doing stuff. Let's just say they want to apply it that way. Right. Let's say a settler, right. Who's moving into the West bank to set up a settlement and they're using that to justify just wipe them all out. He's having to very, very selectively read that. And he couldn't use that as a justification if he read the full passage. It's just a specific... But but there's people
1: who are actually doing that right now in (laughs) Palestine.
2: Yeah, I know. Um, And the reason that's an issue, the reason that's such an issue is modern Orthodox Judaism isn't rooted in the text as it is rooted in these... um, Rooted in these um, vast arrays of traditions around them, that basically prevent the text from speaking directly to things, and there's always there's always these right, kind the, of the Talmud, room. yeah. So there's always these kind of these rooms for interpretation, right? So whereas the text might say something quite on the nose and straightforward, and you know you see this in uh, Western history, you see this in Islamic history the text may say something strict, fine, straightforward, but through these as endless sea of tradition people find a way for it to kind of mean what they want it to mean.
1: Right. But I do see there's a lot of like texts in the Bible that are, you know, just kind of, kind of crazy. I, guess. I mean, I don't want, I don't mean to offend. I mean, it's the same thing, no. whether if we look at Islamic texts or whatnot, there's things that are seen, you know, held. Um, but you know, there's a lot of stuff that just doesn't make sense in terms of, um, you know, there's penalties for eating fat or eating blood or, um, you know, or these type of things. And I get that. Like if they're personal laws that people just for themselves, that's fine, but it's just so easy to like fall into like trying to justify these things for, you know, other people, right. It's just, um, we can't do it, so you can't do it either. And I think I don't think I think Christians are more likely to do that than Jews, just because you know Jews don't aren't really uh, into proselytizing and whatnot, um, while well, Christians and and Muslims are more to kind of you know they want to convert everybody. So, uh, right, right, right. and I think that that's a that's a burn. But there, there's a lot of stuff in the Bible that's like it's hard to like even interpreting it in the best way or in context, they just, they seem, you know, immoral and wrong and, and bad. And, and I get people do the same thing to the Quran, so I'm not going to say everything is that way. But, um, I mean, even the, the Quran or the same interpretation, the, the standard interpretations of the Quran, um, standard like some of the standard Islamic legal laws, uh, you know, I, I don't agree with that necessarily or the way that people understand them um and that's why i wouldn't want to live under you know an islamic state but in, in some aspects I, I mean in many ways i prefer to live under Islamic state than a one that's based on the judeo-christian bible
2: so but for you right to, to, so you look at some things in the bible and some things in islam and you think okay not for me i don't think there's urgently good for the world like what is right. the standard that you're kind of holding to? Like, is it just like an internal moral compass? Is it like, um, a code written down somewhere else? Like what, what is it that drives you to be, um, what is it that drives you to say, yes, this, not this.
1: Um, so to a certain extent it's the idea of objectivism to a large extent, actually. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's, uh, um, just what's going to get the best results with the, the most humane way of applying them? Um, so I'm not like a legalist in that extent. Even though know, I've 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 actually studied quite a bit within Islamic law and whatnot. But, uh, um, I I studied for years uh, with scholars and all that type of stuff. Um, but I have moved away from a legalistic understanding of of the religion towards a more um, spiritual and moral understanding based on um, innate morality and uh, the objectives of applying laws um, and uh, and differentiating between personal laws and, and uh, laws that are applied right on the state level. Um, so yeah, I mean, to a certain extent, it's personal. It's based on my own morality. But at the same time, it's also looking at uh, what, the, what the results of, of the application of certain laws is. So if if I feel like that that law is gonna be inhumane or it's gonna lead to worse results, or there's ways to apply um, law that is more humane than than that's what I prefer. Um, And what was I gonna say, also science. So what I mean by science, obviously, is uh, just research. You you have different models that have been applied in different places in the world, test other types of models on a small scale. And what works best, most, and that's the most objective way of, of doing it. What works best is what should be applied. And maybe something that works in one place doesn't necessarily work in another place. But you try, you apply it, and if it doesn't work, you modify, you improve. So I'm I'm very much a progressive in that regard as well. I I don't believe in um, in necessarily uh, well uh, not on a moral aspect. Morally, I think I'm pretty strong, like set morals. Go. Uh, way I'm very progressive I don't think that we need to just apply laws that, um, that our forefathers applied whether that's from a, a religious book or from just a, a common perspective. I think we have a lot of on the books that they're not based on the Bible or the Quran, but they're really bad and really wrong and um, that need to be changed but that's something that has to progress over time. So very uh, against the conservative worldview and conservative um, approach to religion and law and society.
2: But I guess even with that, right? How you're defining progress is there's a stand there's a standard there, right? That you're still saying, yeah, this is you, you still have certain value inputs there that say, okay, freedom is better than oppression, right? Having everybody with enough to get by. Is better than having lots than a small group of rich people, but we get to space, right? So, either way, right? There's still a moral code which is guiding how you're defining progress itself.
1: I mean, I think it's essentially humanistic, not necessarily within uh, the definition of human you know you say maybe it's religious or uh spiritual humanism right because yep. uh you know a lot of humanism has to be atheistic or whatnot but that's not necess- that's not a necessary part of it it's just a common kind of understanding of humanism
2: no it's, and it's certainly not the history um, but
1: there is a religious humanist um school oh. yeah yeah so I'd, I'd agree with humanism um to a large extent um with personal space for religion or
2: and, and and so that's and, and the human, as long and, as
1: they harm other people or um, affect other people.
2: Well and I think that the humanism piece, again again, there has to be a, a why behind that. So have you ever read um The Gallic Wars by it's Julius the, Caesar? It's the golden rule. At
1: the core, it's the golden rule. Sorry?
2: Have you ever read The Gallic Wars by Julius Caesar? No, I, I haven't. So I it's it's free on LibriVox, which is like um, free. Uh, audiobooks and it's yeah. I love Librovox. I love it. No copyright. Yeah. On it. yeah, yeah. I I use
1: librivox a lot. Actually, it's great.
2: So is one thing that was most interesting about the Gallic Wars is how nonchalant Julius Caesar is about, and then we kill all the men and took all the women as slaves and right. burn their crops and and that sort of right. stuff. Because the essential, the kind of classical morality is operating on is this tribalistic morality which doesn't see humanity as a whole it sees well natural lords and natural slaves which is is just kind of inbuilt into the classical world and and so again i think anytime we're saying the world should not be that way it should be look out for the little guy we have got to give a why to that right it, to be able to justify why we don't want to be that.
1: Right. I, I mean, I think that the, the why is that, um, we're all humans and there's not an essentially different between us. Um, and you know, it goes kind of back to the golden rule, whether you want to say that comes from religion or not. I think it's actually, I believe the golden rule is something that's innate within human beings. Um, and, society. I mean, understandings of it aren't necessarily always the same, and to large extent, it's tribal as well. But I think it's just a a, a universal application of the golden rule. Um, I want everybody. I mean, I want to be treated the the way I want everybody to treat other people like the way that they want to be treated. And once you look at it that way, you you can apply all the you know that to you can expand that to all these type of things that say, okay, if I, I don't want to be be subjugated then i don't want anybody else to be subjugated if i don't want to be um hungry i don't want anybody else to be hungry if i don't want to um you know just i think that that one right there whether you want to say it's based on religion or based on innate morality i think it's enough to you know create a better world and i i think that um a better economy and a better uh, law based on on that um obviously it's, it's not that simple but t- to a large extent um it's a, it's a good it's a good place to base your morality on that's my why
2: and, and ultimately that is my there is my hope of how the world changes in that right so, so i think what's unique about the example of jesus at least in, in the christian framework at least right is that we believe that he's god entered into humanity right and and then laying down his life for people of all nations. So ultimately, right, that's the ultimate example in the Christian worldview of somebody who's powerful, wealthy, needs nothing from somebody, giving everything they have for the benefit of somebody. And that's supposed to be the example that we have in Christianity. We're not simply supposed to cuz yeah, usually
1: It's example people, too.
2: Yeah. But usually the golden rule is that, you know, if you don't want something, somebody to do something to you, don't do it to them, which is good.
1: I think you could do it in the positive sense as well, though.
2: Yeah. Jesus. Now, Jesus is the positive sense. Like Jesus is the is the one where you find it in the positive sense, and he demonstrates that. So ultimately, the way that Christians should be living is not, about building up their tribe and their people, but about seeing Jesus' example, who didn't count equality with God something to be grasped at all costs, but emptied himself and took on the form of a servant to bless other people. And that's ultimately what the Christian worldview is supposed to inspire in people, service of others, not empires, not domineering. And there's always gonna people who there's always gonna be people who want to hide behind that and use religious language, but we've always got to be pushing against it.
1: Right. No, I agree with all of that. I I think those are good, uh, those are good morals and principles. And I think, I think, you know, I think the problem with religion or with, uh, people, you know, religious people is this idea that we're different than anybody else. So we're, we're better or we, uh, we have something that's better, like not necessarily thinking, oh, I'm better, but we have a, you know, uh, a morality that is um, objectively better than everybody else's, and I don't. think that's necessarily true. I think um, religions are just—they're uh, just manifestations of, and manifestations and communication of um, of innate morality that people already have to a large extent. I mean, there's, you're always going to have certain areas of d- difference of opinion. I mean, one thing that we didn't bring up, in, you know, in this chat that I think is a very contentious areas like, like abortions or something. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: but outside of those specific contentious areas, which, uh, I mean, I think a large degree of our polarization in society and what, and just a few, like a few things. Um, People agree on most things, like across cultures and across times. And you know, you see these uh, states, and you, you see people in different times. They've they've gone against those morals, but you know, when you actually ask them what's right and wrong, most people would agree that. So I'm not I'm not just a totally subjective person when it comes to morality. I think it's uh, uh, innate. And and that actually corresponds with the Islamic worldview more than it would with the Christian worldview. I'd say.
2: Well, I, I I would say I'd say you get it from both because um, you have got the fitra in the Islamic worldview, right? You have this innate um, morality, right? But you also have it in the Book of Romans that everyone knows truth and suppresses that truth.
1: Right, but I mean, I think the idea of being born in sin is uh, something that I. I dismissed in terms of christian, christian worldview um both spiritually and also in terms of psychological effects on people
2: oh yeah yeah i i um i completely agree that there's a big difference and i think it's a really important difference and we should do another episode on that sometime sounds good um, like are people born essentially good um because i actually i actually think that the fitra is actually very similar to the essential assumptions of a progressive worldview in a lot of ways. And I think those go hand in hand together. And I think the Christian worldview would be not in line with that. And I think that it's really interesting how it affects people and systems. So we should definitely have a conversation about it. But for now, we've gone for like two hours. Um, so yeah. thank you for being here. Um, definitely. Can, can I just
1: wrap up one quick thing? Yeah, I mean, just to kind of go back to the original topic that we are talking about, um, you know, a lot of the things that you were talking about, I, I agree with, but I, I agree with them from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. But I think, um, you know, just to kind of the most important point that I believe, is, like why I wouldn't want the Christian worldviews. You see some of these, these groups that have a Christian worldview that want to implement it in society and in law and whatnot. And they don't correspond what you're seeing necessarily i mean there's a lot of like extreme groups that are like right now like the vice president i i personally believe, like he's extreme and his the group he's from extreme i don't know you know your take on it probably take too long for us to talk about it but like then you have like have you heard of the family they i mean they're basically like a cult to, at least from my perspective um have you heard about them
2: yeah i've uh, I'm, I'm immediately going to like fall cry but uh i've, I've so definitely heard of it the,
1: uh, sorry, the the Fellowship, uh, what's it called? The, the Family is the name of the documentary that was made about them. It's called, uh, uh, just one second, the Fellowship Foundation. The, there's a great documentary about them on Netflix that I highly, highly recommend watching. But, I mean, it's scary stuff. And these people are trying to take over basically the country and, and force other people to live by a certain worldview and certain... Um, you know, laws that that don't necessarily correspond with what you're saying. I mean, I've read that some of the just some, some stuff that, that some of the writers have written about went on, I and mean, some of them published really big books. Um, it's not. I'm mean, going to create a theocracy in the negative sense, not in the, the positive way that you spun it, from my world, from my perspective. And I okay. think you know you can you can say that okay, you know, I want a, a, a system based on religion one, not but it's going to lead seems like it's much sooner lead to what these guys are pushing than to what you're talking about. Um, though I have no, I have no problem with, you know, you proselytizing and trying to create um, people who believe in what you believe that's, that's everybody's right. And that's a good right to have in a society.
2: Yeah. And again, we, we, we'd share that concern, right? And, uh, if it makes you feel better, the goal is not to, have a coup d'état and say, "Okay, we're all officially Christian now. Everyone else just suck it up." It's that you have a intentional, purposeful growth of the Christian worldview, and inevitably that makes its way to law, right? Inevitably, when people believe it, it what people believe is truth and morality makes its way to law, and what I'm concerned about is doing that well and not right. doing it badly. Right. Right. And, and so, uh if, um, if, if Christianity grows, if, if more Christians get into government, typically what will happen, and they don't expect to do that and they're not ready for it, then we will get cultish behaviors. We will get people acting like they're speaking on, on God's behalf. And I'm, I'm dedicated to consistently applying the Bible in a way that pushes back against the excesses that, um, that, um, that can stand against the, the kind of crazies. And I'm, again, I'm far more concerned about doing that than I am about chin Yuan else's mind. And that hopefully, you know, if uh, we have a huge Christian majority in America in 70 years, that your um, your great grandchildren or grandchildren aren't a persecuted minority in that, but are a love minority who are taken care of that failing, You guys can come hide in my basement.
1: oh man i mean that wouldn't be too bad as long as it's not uh having us hide in your basement because of uh some crazies took over the government
2: (laughs) yeah and and, you know offer offered offer stands if we get some non-christian crazies as well right
1: (laughs) of course every group has its crazies every group I, i get i agree with
2: that so um yeah, and, and, and that's and that's, what I, that's a big part of the Christian worldview is that, that I think is that everyone can learn from is that Jesus says, first, deal with a plank in your own eye before you deal with a speck in others' eyes, right? Right. And, and I think the world right. functions as a much better place if we're, if we're concerned about dealing with our own crazies before we're trying to deal with... the the rest of the world?
1: Well, our own selves first, and then other people, and then the rest of the world, right? Right, right. Because that's the problem with a lot of religious people is that they want to deal with everybody else, but they're not even looking at their own selves, and they're very, very flawed people a lot of times. <laughs> like, it's like if you spent, um, uh, I can't remember who it, was, it was one of the Sufi, uh, Sufis in his long history. He said, you know, if I I don't have time to look at other people's faults because I have so many faults. Like if you if you're, if you're busy with correcting your own faults, you don't have time to do other people's stuff. You can't you don't even see it. You know like you you're trying to improve yourself, and then by improving yourself, you improve the people around you. Just out of, like that's just natural. But when you're trying to change the people around you, and you're 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 not a good example, you're not a good person, then you know, you're, you're actually just going to make things worse most of the time and you're going to make people hate you and your religion.
2: Yeah, and it just applies generally. Like, I mean, Can you imagine the shift in politics that would happen if the first thing the Republicans or the Democrats did was they looked in the mirror and think, and, and each senator right, starts the day thinking, what's wrong with me? And then what's wrong with my party? Then what's wrong with the country? And then what's wrong with the world, right? Instead, it's like, it's the, the world is the problem. Then it's the Democrats. Then it's the other people. Then it's me, right?
0: So, so,
1: so I, think that, but at the same time, I disagree. And what I mean by that is, yes, I think it's very important for people to be, uh, to hold themselves accountable and to, but when we're looking at a societal issues and societal problems, we have to recognize the structural is behind them because I think a big problem and you see that a lot among them, you know, these certain uh, prosperity Christians and whatnot uh, who are just pushing this, this, method, this gospel of uh, you know, gospel of prosperity that oh, oh if you do this you're going to become rich Stuff. Um, I think that's a very damaging ideology uh, yeah. not just on a religious perspective but on a societal perspective of, yep. not just, and not just regarding prosperity just regarding dealing with the issues that we have in society it's okay you know, um, this whole you know, a lot of self-help genre and whatnot. They're like, yeah, you fix yourself, you get rich, and everything. It's like screw everybody else, but that's not the right way to, to deal with. It. Like dealing with poverty, for example. There's a great saying that you know, if, if charities needed needed, that means that that um, you know you have something really wrong with your society if you, if there's a big need for charity. Because if you deal with if you actually address the root causes of, of, of poverty, you're not even going to need charity uh, um, because everybody. Can we have enough abundance and prosperity in this world and wealth that there shouldn't be any poverty in the first place where we need this type of, uh, you know, philanthropy and charity and whatnot, but it's about addressing the root causes. So while I do agree that people will need to help themselves, try to improve themselves at the same time and just say, Oh, improve yourself and you know, everything will be get better. They might get better for you, but they're not going to get better for, for everybody else.
2: Well, the point isn't that you don't say anything to the world. It's that, your starting point is your own issues, right? It's not yeah. that you don't try and address right. things is that you do it from a stature of humility, but all those things that you mentioned, those are the perfect thing to talk about in the next thing because it's a human nature issue, right? Sounds good. So let, let's do You ever up in Seattle?
1: Uh, I grew up in Seattle. Yeah.
2: Do you ever, you ever oh. come here?
1: Um, I was up there last summer.
2: Well, we should we should do an episode in person so, next time you're here. I mean, here. once all this is done, I,
1: yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm not sure how soon that will be, but um, I was planning on trying to come this summer, but you see the uh, circumstances. Around, I'm not sure what, how that's going to gonna be. I mean, I, I miss
2: Seattle. It's,
1: especially the summer's in Seattle, man. They're, they're perfect. So gorgeous.
2: I know. And you're in what, Arizona now? Where uh, you're literally, uh, that's the worst
1: place in the world it's
2: it's literally hell in summer yeah yeah no it's um,
1: it's horrible here during summer horrible
2: okay well cool well thanks again for doing this and thank you guys for listening to the almeida initiative podcast